This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year, we have been exploring the book of Acts, and then the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the places and people and topics that are addressed therein. And today we're going to just camp out really in the in the book of Acts. We're coming to the conclusion of it, Ben, and we're, we're looking at Paul on his way to Rome, but in this journey along the way, he is is kind of confronted in Jerusalem. We talked about that previously, and now hauled off to Caesarea, which we've also talked about. And there he there he is parked for a while in Caesarea for a couple of years in this this prison. And I guess maybe the thing I want to start with is we don't really know what he talked about in that two year period. It says that Festus brought him in. And wanted was hoping for a bribe, and was was uh, on a regular basis having conversations with Paul. But for whatever reason, Luke did not record it. Luke wasn't, I guess, arrested. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, that is, maybe he wasn't privy to that, or Paul didn't tell him. But he had visitors coming and going. And I, I you ever wonder about what happened in these gap times when it says two years passed, or three years, or a year and a half or six months, and there's a whole lot of life that that took place there in Paul. And I don't know, does that kind of thing ever enter your mind? Uh, not really. Yeah, it, um, it doesn't. Okay, I'm just a simple man, and so uh, yeah, the way my uh, my mind works a lot of times, and the things that I focus on are just you know, I guess what's on the page. Um, I kind of, I guess I read back into it a little bit, just seeing Paul's life, uh, through his, through the lens of his Roman imprisonment, which is coming later and knowing that while he was in Rome, he was persistently sharing the gospel. And we see this in the passage we're going to look at a little bit later, uh, here in Acts 26, where Paul makes this point that his, of his desperate desire of his longing for everyone to know Jesus Christ. And so uh, one of the things that I love about Paul, one of the things that kind of speaks into my life as a follower uh, of Christ is that um, there is this, uh, with with Paul and and with those who are really abiding in Christ, there's just this constant longing, this constant desire for others to know Jesus Christ. So no matter the circumstances that we're confronted with in in life, um, Paul was, you know, in essence, he was always on mission. Do you have any two-year periods in your life which you think, huh, wonder what I did during that? You look back, or are there gaps yeah. or or a forgettable two years? Yeah, there, there, there are years that are uh, I'd love to potentially, I guess, probably forget. But you haven't um, forgotten. Two-year two spans, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't forgotten. Um, but there are, there, there are those, you know, those moments where, you know, not held in prison by any means, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the, uh, so much of life is, it's the, the mundane, I guess. Maybe you you needed a scribe like Luke to hang out with you and record all of the events of those two year periods. Yeah. That would have been incredibly boring. (laughs) <laughs> for the historical record thing. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll include that in, uh, things nobody wants to read. Yeah. 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 We could all write lots of those books, I'm sure. So, so Paul spends two years under Felix in prison. And then it says in Acts chapter 24, verse 27, 
When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. Pretty cool name there. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison for those two years. So that's kind of the historical context of our discussion today, that this guy named Festus takes over, and he is he, he's going to try to figure out what to do now with Paul, because now he's the governor in charge of Judea, which is what we, we think of Israel today. He's the governor of that area, and he's got this guy who is a Roman citizen, but who's a Jewish Pharisee, but who is a leading Christian evangelist, and he, he doesn't know what to do with him. So it goes on in Acts chapter 25 that says, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, where they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. So they wanted to they wanted to do away with Paul. Ben, they wanted to do away with him two years ago. And now he's been spent two years not in Jerusalem, but over in Caesarea. They haven't forgotten. They're still trying to maneuver away. So what's the big deal? Like nobody's writing about Paul's activity during this two year period. Nobody's doing much related. I mean, there probably is activity going on. It's just not getting written down by Luke. But there's they're still they're still wanting to kill him, this guy that's in prison. Why? Yeah. Uh as they say, Paul was in many ways just kind of living rent free in their heads. And uh they were obsessed with seeing him killed. And I think some of that is probably driven by how the gospel has spread through Paul's ministry, which they want shut down. They they obviously don't want that. I think the other part of it is, is, and we'll see here in a second, in 25, but um, their familiarity with Paul. You know, you, you've got, Paul was a Pharisee. His dad was a Pharisee. Paul was a known commodity among the Jewish religious leaders. And you think about all these Pharisees that would have been contemporaries of Paul, who would have studied, you know, under Gamaliel with Paul, um, who knew Paul probably since he was a small child who had, who had again grown up with him. And so, you know, their, their previous knowledge of Paul prior to becoming a follower of Christ. And then with the success Paul was having and spreading the gospel of Christ, they had become obsessed with Paul to such a degree that he was, he had really become enemy number one uh, in their minds. And so for them, they understood that, at least in their mind, if they could get rid of Paul, that would shut down the persistent proclamation of the gospel. Because at this point, Paul it really is primary. Um, you know, he's in some ways he has become, if not the functional leader of the church, if nothing else, he is the one who is most prominent in the church. He is the most prominent. And they, they haven't forgotten it, and they, they really hated Christianity. I, we're, we're standing here, you know, 2,000 years later, and I think we forget that it was tenuous. I mean, it wasn't because it was of God, but from the world's perspective, they were wanting to annihilate Christianity 
from the get-go. And it's it really is miraculous that it kept going. So in verse 6, it says, After spending eight or ten days with them in Jerusalem, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. So this poor Festus, he's like the new governor, and the first major issue he's dealing with is Paul. Verse 8, then Paul made his defense and says, I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. All these charges brought at him. He says, look, I'm not not violating any rules at all. Festus, verse 9, wishing to do the Jews a favor. He's, he's got his new governorship. It's appointed by Caesar, but he's still got to get along with these power brokers from Jerusalem. And it says, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? He should be able to say yes, because he's standing trial before a Roman-appointed governor. But Paul knows from two years prior, and even more recently here, they want to ambush him. They, they want to get him back to Jerusalem so they, can, so they can do away with him. So it's kind of like this trap, isn't it, that's going on? I mean, what, like, I, I'm assuming Paul is aware of these scenarios still going on two years later, that what you just said, they want to, they want to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Paul would have rightly assumed, um, undoubtedly, that to go back to Jerusalem might be a death sentence for him. And uh, Paul knows that that God is is ultimately calling him to Rome. And so by appealing to Caesar, he can kind of quicken his journey there, knowing that if he goes back to Jerusalem, it's just going to be fraught with the uh, religious leaders trying to kill him. Yeah, so he says in verse 10, Paul says, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried, not, not back in Jerusalem with a Jewish court, but here. I have, done, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. And he says it plainly, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus says, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So as a Roman citizen, he's now on his way to Rome, where he's going to stand before the Caesar, Nero at the time, and come before him and make his appeal there. So it's, it's kind of weird because Rome's far away from Israel. It's, it's a long distance. And so it's... This Roman Caesar is going to have to try Paul without really knowing what's going on, I I would say, in in many, many ways. But that sort of seals the fate because that's that's where he's headed. And and we'll we'll see in the future that he's going to get on a ship and head to Rome and and go there. and, And the history sort of ends with him being in Rome in his first imprisonment there. But it was a it was a major decision to make. And it, it, that probably deflated the Jewish religious authorities, don't you think? I mean, he was he was going out of their grasp. 
Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that they were outraged uh, at the thought and the knowledge that ultimately they weren't going to be able to get at Paul, um, no matter what they uh, attempted. Uh, all of their plans were were coming to waste, and so yeah, undoubtedly they're they're frustrated. And and Festus is, you know, Festus is trying to get off on the right foot with them, and he's he's failed at that as well, and. Uh, and so, yeah, Festus and the, the Jewish religious leaders here are, are kind of at a loss. Yeah, they don't, they don't know what to do with this crazy guy that's <laughs> causing so much problem. So, and, and you know, F- Festus is, is probably going to be happy to get rid of him. And it's an interesting deal. Like, he doesn't even, he's new to the job. He doesn't even really know what the problem is. He, he doesn't even really get it. So if we look over in verse 13, somebody else arrives, and it's a guy named Agrippa. He's actually Herod Agrippa, one of the the line of the Herods that have been a nuisance to Jesus and his followers from the get-go. He's the fourth one, I believe, that's that's kind of been in some place of power. He, This King Agrippa was never in charge of Judea, right. but he still had influence. He still had in the area and he was, their family was very powerful, very wealthy and had a, had a lot of influence among the people. And so it says in verse 13, after, I'm sorry, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice, which is his sister, arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus, the new governor. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with King Agrippa. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as prisoner for me to deal with. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that this is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Verse 17, when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him. So this guy shows up and, and he's going to now try to get at the bottom of of what is going on and what what Paul's even there for. Festus doesn't even know what to do. He didn't know what to even write on this document he's supposed to send to, to Caesar. And he's hoping that Agrippa can muster up something so at least he knows what the, what the charges ought to be before he sends him to Caesar. He's the new governor. And he didn't want to appear to be a fool, I don't think. Uh, what can you add in the, any context to like this story that's going on between 
Paul and the Jews and, and the new governor and Agrippa and, and all these things. Yeah, and I think, you know, Festus is also dealing with the history of Felix. And in Felix, we, we know from extra biblical sources, was ultimately called back to Rome um, and uh, because he, he couldn't quell these persistent disputes that they were having with the, the Jewish population. And so he's called back to Rome and I honestly would have faced some pretty severe, uh, potentially even death had his, had his brother not intervened on his behalf. And so Festus is going in uh, with, with that context in mind. He's trying to make things right uh, so that he can kind of quell the Jewish anger that's existent with the Roman authorities. And so he, you know, he's walking in blind, having to experience this guy, Paul. He doesn't know any of the history there, doesn't know who Paul is. And, uh, and he's just trying to gain some insight because, you know, again, he wants to get started off on the right foot, uh, with the Jewish population of this region that he is, uh, that he's overseeing. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And it's, uh, gotta be, gotta be concerning for him to try to figure this out and to figure out what he's supposed to do next and, and how he's supposed to navigate this challenge with this man named Paul. So a group is brought in and, and the, they set up this meeting that's going to, to take place here. In fact, down in verse 26, I think is the summation of it, of chapter 25, verse 26, when Festus tells Herod Agrippa, he says about Paul, I have nothing definite to write to his majesty, the Caesar, about Paul. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. I mean, he's just trying to dispatch with this guy, get rid of him, but he didn't even know what the charges are. It's um, it's a strange way for a a powerful government to operate. It would seem. Yeah, and I mean, Agrippa can be Festus's means of making things right, sort of legitimize the population. His name. Yeah, to yeah to legitimize uh, whatever decision is made uh, can offer wisdom to Festus as to the Jewish law itself. And so uh, Agrippa, you know, Festus sees Agrippa as a, as a means to, in some ways, get things right as he's sending Paul off and uh, that Agrippa can kind of, uh, you know, calm things among the Jewish population in the so, region. So Paul is given permission to talk to Herod Agrippa, and he does. And that's a a pretty good story that we'll leave for for another time to the interaction of what he does or he gives his his history his his background and and why he sees he's up on charges but i want to i want to jump down to chapter 26 acts 26 and a little bit later into it let's go into verse 24 so chapter verse 24 and this is after paul's kind of sort of given his whole scenario his background how he used to persecute christians how Jesus appeared to him and he became a, a missionary to the Gentiles and traveled all over the place and did all these things. And in the end, he says, look, Jesus rose from the dead and that's why I'm here because they're mad about that. And down in chapter 26, verse 24, at this point, Governor Festus interrupted Paul's defense and said, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. So he just looks at Paul as like this crazy guy that he wants to get rid of. 
Verse 25, Paul replied, I am not an insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. Speaking of King Agrippa, he's familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. So it's really an interesting turn because Paul had been talking about himself and his own story, and now he shifts the narrative toward Herod Agrippa, knowing his family history, how Herod the Great, the first one, is the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born, and on down. I mean, like they were they were a murderous bunch and a powerful bunch, and they had interacted with, you know, one of them took the head of John the Baptist, and one of them had James, the the apostle, put to death, and like on down the line, they were a tough bunch, and he knew that there was family history and interaction with that. But it's an interesting question. Do you believe the prophets? Why would Paul think, and maybe it was true, I don't know the background of this history, why would he think that Agrippa would believe the Old Testament prophets. Because of uh, Agrippa's Jewish heritage. But they really weren't living that Jewish heritage for four generations. But that being said, ethnically they were. And so Paul, in some ways, I think, is is driving at that with, with Agrippa, in some ways calling him to account before all of these Jewish religious leaders that are in the crowd or in the mix as well. And so while Paul is definitely directly addressing Agrippa, he's addressing a broader audience as well. And he's making the point to them that we've had this hope. Part part of Paul's message through, throughout Acts 26 is this hope that Christ is the fulfillment of this Old Testament hope. And the resurrection itself is a testimony uh, to like it undergirds, it strengthens the the reality of who Christ is because this is who the prophets have have promised uh, have promised us, and so that's the that's the way I I read that where he's kind of calling Herod to account, and he's also or Agrippa to account, and he's also in many ways calling all those in the in the audience. You think about these Pharisees who believe in the resurrection of the dead. Who see the resurrection of the dead as the as this fulfillment of the prophetic hope that is born, you know that that is supposed to come through uh, this Jewish Messiah. And Paul's saying, "Hey, the guy that we've been waiting for has come, and he has been raised from the dead." And so, if you read, you know, for Paul's words to the church in Corinth and First Corinthians, he talks about Jesus being the the first fruits of this promised resurrection. And so Paul's emphasizing the the resurrection. He's emphasizing that the resurrection points to the certain hope that Christ is who he has claimed to be, that he is the Messiah. And he, he's trying to emphasize to them all, hey, again, the guy that we've been waiting for, he has come. And that's one of the, the issues here. When we think about, you know, the historical reality of Christ's resurrection, Paul's message centered in a resurrected Christ in the resurrected Jesus. 
The Jewish religious leaders and the Roman authorities wanted to shut down the message. If Jesus was dead and buried, all they needed to do was go to the tomb. But they couldn't produce the tomb. They couldn't produce the body. They couldn't crack a seal on the tomb and say, here's your dead Messiah. Because Christ had truly been resurrected from the grave. And Paul makes this point to, to, to them in his testimony where he said, I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. These things that we're proclaiming, this thing that I'm proclaiming, the resurrection of Christ is not some secret. Jesus didn't supposedly, you know, rise from the dead and then like head out to the mountains, but was seen by a multitude of people. Do you think it's, it's similar in our culture in America with preachers like us and pews full of, of people who are kind of on the various places in the spectrum of, of faith, some being devout followers of Jesus, maybe some being cultural Christians, maybe even the people that aren't in church that are sort of being in America, cultural Christians. And we might ask the, pl- the question, well, do you, do you believe in Jesus or do you believe in the Bible? And it's sort of like this broad grab to, to say, the expected answer is, well, yes, I do, because I was raised here, especially in, in times prior to maybe right now when most, almost all Americans would have said, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or I, I believe in the Bible. I, I, it has that same feel to it, that he's, he's looking at this man who was, yes, a cultural Jew. I, mean, I don't know what his practices were, what his religious practices were. They, they might have sure. been devout, but I do know that for four generations— um, he and his father and and then that his father's uncle and and then that uncle's father were a murderous bunch they were a they weren't yes. living like the yeah. old testament even the jewish they weren't even living the way the sanhedrin would have said to live well of course they were trying to kill paul i guess it's the whole thing's just a murky mess he's dragging him in it has that same feel to me though i don't know if it does to you like how we would say some to someone today do you believe in Jesus or do you believe in the Bible? Yeah, that's a great parallel um, uh, to draw here because, yeah, very much so. I, I would see it through that same lens. You know, if you encounter somebody who is living completely outside the bounds of what a, you know, Christian life should look like, to ask that question, do do you even believe in Jesus? And And there's probably those undertones here. Uh, to Agrippa, you know, as one who would have uh, ethnically been Jewish, there is that that same kind of um, yeah, you and, know, and undercurrent. Agrippa there knew for where sure. he was headed because he said in verse twenty eight to Paul, "Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian?" So he knew exactly what he was doing by looking at the prophets, what the prophets said about the Messiah, how Jesus the Messiah fulfilled the prophecies. He got it. He says, do you think you can persuade me after four generations of us like <laughs> living the way we want to be a Christian? And I love Paul's response. Verse 29, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but all who are listening to me, that would include the Jewish authorities from the Sanhedrin, all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. That's a pretty good way to end this discussion where, where Paul 
shackled in prison for two years before some of the most powerful people around, his desire would, was that they would come to know Christ. Yeah, and, and to make crystal clear, this desire that Paul has should not be unique to Paul. That should be the longing of every Christ follower's yep. heart. With Paul, we should be echoing these words with the life that we live and our desire for others to come to know Jesus. Well, we'll leave it at that. Good word. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper to our year-long study, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find the app and click on the Beyond Mission link, and that'll, that'll take you to all kinds of things. And if you want to stay up to date on these Beyond Mission podcasts, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, we'll, we'll pick up the story and look at him sailing toward Rome, and then we'll talk a little bit about the book of Titus. Until then, God bless.